Ivory Lane is a talented and accomplished singer-songwriter and artist who has captured her audience with her unique style and powerful voice. Songs like Superman, Boy Loves Me, Cookie Cutter, and Green, along with the rest of her outstanding catalog, have cemented her as an absolute powerhouse of a songwriter and artist. Whether you're already a faithful fan of Ivory or just discovering her for the first time, I'm thrilled to welcome her as a guest on my show, where we'll take a deep dive into the inner world of being an artist in today's world of algorithms. If you're a cool kid, you'll know the reference. All right, let's get into it. I'm here and we are in sync. I gotta say, this is the most starstruck that I will be on an episode. Big fan, big fan, (laughs) have been for years. Thank you, Derek. I'm touched. Um, Also, I'm like, do you want me to talk like this so that we add a little bit of international feel? (laughs) Being like, Derek, I'm so excited to be here today. It's been lovely chatting with you. We're done. That's the end of the interview. (laughs) That's my my one little sprinkling of... (laughs) Of Have you ever lived in the UK or in London or anything like that? In my mind. Yeah, okay. In my mind, I have. Because I know you've traveled um, out there. I travel there. over there quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have a pub deal based out of London. So I have a lot of ties there and and, and work with a lot of the English. But yeah. sadly, I've never lived there. Please educate me. What exactly is a pub deal? Oh, yes. Um, It is not a partnership with a brewery or a place that sells ale. Um, I'm talking about publishing. (laughs) Um, Uh I know. It's like, what? I thought there were free fish and chips on the house. So they Um, fly you out there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, So publishing deal, they, they, they pay you to write music, essentially, and they help set you up with, uh, you know, writing with producers, writers for your stuff, your project, but also uh, TV and film, other artists. I've really been enjoying writing for other artists, actually, um, through this particular publishing deal. Uh, A lot of the artists are younger and just getting started out, and it's really fun. Uh, I feel like I've been in the music industry long enough to kind of help them through the weeds of what they want to write about, what kind of artist they want to be, what what they want to tell the world and how they want to tell it. And publishers are great at connecting you with those up and coming artists. And yeah, so that's kind of that's kind so of what cool. a publishing deal does. Yeah. That was going to be my question is like, so mm. do they, is it, is it a deal to like write your music, but it's kind of all endeavors. All um, endeavors, all endeavors. That's so cool. And you really yeah. want to write more for other people too because there's better opportunities if you're, you know, writing for a bigger artist than me. I know it's hard to believe there are bigger artists than the whole Ivory <laughs> Lane, but, <laughs> you I, know, yeah. I, I think, <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I think also just like casting a wider net. It's like if, yes. if the body of work that is under your name is more than just your name, it's like that's only for the good. I mean, my biggest inspiration as far as songwriting goes is Ryan Tedder, which is, mm-hmm. I know, it's a crazy hot take, but like, I mean, he writes for everybody. <laughs> like, it's insane when you look at his credits. I really think he's up and coming. You know, I, I wish him the best. I know he's really been struggling in his <laughs> I career. I think he's going to do big things one day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And the versatility that Ryan has, I mean, that's something that a publishing deal does offer you as well in introducing you to a lot of different writing projects. It gives you the opportunity to kind of 
experiment with different genres. Um, it's really helped me with my people skills because mm. you're going into situations with, um, you know, producers and writers and artists. And that can be a lot of different personalities kind of swirling around in the same room. And then we're all artsy-fartsy, so we're just eccentric as heck. Totally. And sometimes it's just like you got to balance. You you find your uh, your balance in kind of how how much of this is actually like our talent and how much of this is our ability to get along as humans. <laughs> so it really helps. That's a great point. It It is. I've always said songwriting 75% people skills, 25% music skills. So um, I did get that math right, right? Oh, gosh. I what if I was so, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> over 100% or under 100%? But um, I, that's something that, you know, having having a network, which could be a publishing deal. It could just be, you know, just putting yourself out there and meeting different people. That's really allowed me to experiment with the genre and really push myself and challenge myself outside of the realm of what I would write if I were just by my lonesome. Yeah. It's the same thing I feel like with working. Uh, so the majority of how I make my money as a musician is through live performing. And mm -hmm. I feel like that rings so true where the majority of why you like why a person gets hired, why a gig goes well, um, you know, all of that stuff revolves around the people and how well they can hang. Mm. It is so it's so funny how it's so not about music most of the time. <laughs> and um, but that, in, I mean, that informs the the musical, you know, experience, whatever you're producing, whatever it is that you're creating. Um, it's always just about like, there's so many things that I found out in hindsight that I got hired for, not because of music. <laughs> it was just like, oh yeah, we wanted to hang, you know? Oh. Um, and I, I feel like it's always, it's like if you're getting hired for a gig or if you're getting offered to do like the, like this publishing deal. It's like if you're getting offered something, it's because they know you can do it, you know? Mm. Um, but what sets a person apart, like when they do make a selection of like, we want you to do this, it's because of you, you know? And so I think the, the longevity thing is really just who are you as a person? I, I also had it explained to me this way from a, um, a mentor of mine that like your talent will get you in the door Mm -hmm. um, your talent will create the opportunity, but your personality is what's going to keep you there. Mm, that's a good word. I mean, it's it's very, very true. Um, yeah. Music especially is about, uh, you know, connection with other people. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're not a personality that people can see themselves in or, you know, through or with, then what's the point? Um, especially yeah. as an artist too, I would say, because you're kind of the mouthpiece for a lot of people's internal thoughts and feelings. And so if people aren't aren't seeing that in an approachable way, um, it would be very tricky to establish some sort of long, successful career. Definitely. Now that you're kind of in a position where you're able to be a part of other people's journey in songwriting, do you see like a parallel between that and like your own, like, cause obviously you're making so much music, you've been doing it for a while. Mm -hmm. What do you, what parallel do you see? Like, do you, um, are there like instrumental people that you remember from your uh, kind of entry into like songwriting? Like, what did that look like? Or are you from, like, did you grow up in the Nashville area mm. um, and just kind of come up in like a thriving music scene like that? 
I do see parallels, of course. It's kind of what excites me in writing with younger artists um, right now. Uh, just, I got into the music industry when I was 17 years old. I, I did not grow up around Nashville. Um, I grew up in a tiny, ta- t- tiny town called Denver, North Carolina. And nice. uh, it's just right outside of Charlotte, if you're familiar with the area. But I got, mm-hmm. quote unquote, discovered in high school um, via my art teacher, Mr. Springer, who knew of a producer based out of Nashville named Ed Cash, who uh, I, I was going to go to school for music. So I just figured if I get connected with this really established producer, maybe he could write a letter to Belmont University for me and like <laughs> help me get a foot in the door. And uh, my my art teacher, Mr. Springer, sent over my uh, SoundCloud account because I was writing and producing in GarageBand myself just from my bedroom after school. Yes. And, yeah, you know? We you know? love to see it. <laughs> and and Ed uh, w- was interested in, in meeting with me and working with me. So that started a pattern of me kind of going over to Nashville to work with him and his crew in the studio. And I was absorbing a lot of information at that time. There there wasn't a lot of local opportunities back in Denver, North Carolina to be watching someone in a studio. I wasn't even familiar with what the definition of a music producer was and what that all entailed. So to be able to be in like a really big, great, established, again, studio, watching like Ed had a bunch of Belmont interns working with him. So I was even able to get almost a college education's worth going back and forth um, every so often uh, to Nashville working with him. So that kind of started the whole introduction to Nashville, which very quickly morphed into, hey, let's not accrue a bunch of student debt and go go to Belmont <laughs> if I'm watching what the interns are doing and I'm learning from you know this huge producer here. Let me kind of figure it out on my own. And so after high school, I moved out to Nashville um, and, you know, it was 18, 19 around that time. I was 18 or 19. This was not 18, 19. I know I look amazing <laughs> for my <laughs> age. Um, so that kind of started just this like crazy whirlwind snowballing effect of getting discovered again by publishing companies, management, artist development companies. And that all kind of came with its pros and it came with its cons. And then it just came and went, you know, and you just kind of go from one partnership to the next partnership, just based on where you are in your life and where they are in their company schedule. And because of that kind of me growing into an adult and being a part of all these different deals and partnerships, I learned a lot uh, very quickly Uh, because I was kind of thrust into it at a very early age. And um, because of that, when I am writing, back to the parallel question, when I'm writing with these kids that got famous off TikTok or they just got signed to a major, even though I've never been signed to a major, I've, I've, you know, been signed big places to bigger things uh, or big things. um, I do feel a level of empathy just in that remembering what it felt like to be that young and not not knowing who I was, but knowing exactly what I wanted or what I thought that I wanted. And I feel like I'm able to translate um, them telling me, I want this kind of song. I want to be this kind of artist into something 
that becomes, okay, cool. I love that you love Billie Eilish. I love that you love (laughs) Olivia Rodrigo. Let those people be those people. Let those artists be those artists. We can take inspiration from them, but how can we make your story yours? How can we tell it in a way that no one else but you can tell it because of the voice you have, because of the experience that you have? And I think that's what I've gotten better at over the years because of my experience and realizing, you know, there are so many people doing what I want to do. There are so many people in the music industry. There are so many different deals and partnerships and whatever. The the special thing, the special sauce that I'm bringing is me, my, my collection of experiences, my perspective on the world, the way that I phrase a sentence and the way that I take my cup of coffee, you know, that's the special. And so bringing that out of artists is something I'm really passionate about, making sure that they don't feel like another number, making sure they don't feel like they're having to be the off-brand major artist um, mm. is something I feel like, again, I've gotten good at because of my journey. And so I do definitely see parallels uh, just because of the path that that I've been on and and chosen to forge for myself. Yeah, and I feel like that's such a, um, it is a relevant mindset um, where people think I want to make a track and I want it to sound like this song by this person. And in my own producing experience, it's nice, it's really nice to have references as a producer. Mm Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's got to be exhausting as an artist um, yes. <laughs> because you do miss out on who you are. And that's not an easy thing either. Like finding out what your voice is on any in anything, whether it's on an instrument or your voice as an instrument or who you are as an artist, who you are as a songwriter. That's not easy, but what a great feeling to have made something unique, something mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like you know, just like Billie Eilish. I love Billie Eilish just as much as the next guy. Yeah. But to hear something truly unique um, is, um, which is it, its own, you know, can of worms because like everything's kind of derivative. But everything's recycled. with your own yeah. unique perspective, you know, <laughs> yes. curating the sounds in your music through your your perspective, I think is is such a, a fulfilling thing. So that's an amazing, but like a daunting journey. Does that get exhausting after a while? Like, has that ever been like an exhausting thing? Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like my voice sounds exhausted today. So yes, it it, <laughs> it is, you know. Um, you know, I think it's hard not to get jaded. It's hard mm. not to let the exhaustion lead to a bitterness, lead to a uh, feeling of just overwhelming defeat. Like no one's ever going to, it feels like uh, my high school line that I always told my mom, no one's ever going to get me. No one's ever going to understand that can, I, I can feel that high school feeling quite often when, um, you know, the music industry is an industry. It is a business. You can't point fingers and be upset about it. I mean, we need to make money and, and we need mm-hmm. to, you know, pay the bills and put food on the table. So I don't for a second think that, you know, this should be easy and I shouldn't be, the exhaustion isn't um, fair. But I do think I do get to control what I'm putting out there, the product that I'm putting out and how I create it. And so I almost see it more definitely, like I said before, I'm kind of forging my own path, but the energy I'm putting into it is almost like 
an energy of preservation. Like I'm very Mm. much into shielding the most original ideas that I have, shielding that side of me that wants to make the quirky, weird acapella track, Um, shielding that from the commercialism that can kind of seep in from things like social media. You know, it's not all labels and stuff now too. It's it's a lot of what's trending, what grabs people's ears and eyes for 10 seconds or shorter. So a lot of my exhaustion is really out of self-preservation, just kind of believing that I have something that no one else has because no one else has me and, and kind of um, being active in trying to save that and not just kind of compromise on the creative side for my artist project. I I do approach things differently in writing with other artists and I do want to get in their brain. And if a label is asking for something specific for their record, then absolutely we're going to figure out a way to make sure everybody's happy and it feels Mm -hmm. authentic. But for me personally, because I'm doing this solo, it's really an exhaustion that stems from a a self-preservation, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, you want to protect... Like, you don't want to let yourself become just another, like, cog in the machine because, like, there's so many voices trying to be like somebody else. Yes. And it's a worthwhile thing to put that much effort into not just becoming another face in that crowd, you know? And I'm, I'm, it's, it's weird because, like, I'm not even saying that there's necessarily anything bad about it. Maybe creatively, like I think it probably hurts creativity to just be trying to emulate somebody and have everybody in your network also do the same thing. But I mean, obviously, like it's a huge industry and a lot of, uh, you know, I think it's the executives probably who are like, well, this artist is doing really well. So can you sound more like this? Mm-hmm. And that makes sense from a business standpoint. Like I'm not, you know, we're not over here like that's dumb. But I think you have to look, you have to take the art into account too. Like this isn't, I don't know, this isn't some sort of inanimate object that we're creating. This is, um, people are writing about their lives and they're, they're putting their hearts out there. And artists are really, I mean, we're... We're tough, but we're softies too. I mean, like a lot of people (laughs) write songs because they don't know how to communicate their emotions (laughs) properly or in a healthy way. So um, I think there's lots of room for improvement in the industry, but I do always take it with a healthy dose of this. This is an industry and it's a, I bring the humanity to it. So how can I preserve my humanity? Yeah. And I think a lot of it too, is that I think I started to hone in on this a couple of years ago, but like it was probably shortly after um, Billie Eilish like stole the top 40, mm-hmm. <laughs> like when her record dropped in 2019 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I think I started to notice that a lot of what is sensational about this is her sound and what she sings about. But also I think what's sensational about new artists in general, particularly about that record, is that it was so different from what anybody else was doing mm-hmm. at the time. Like it was so... like. If you listen to anything else that was on the top 40 or the Billboard top 100 at that time, even none of it sounded like even remotely close to that. And there's something to be said for that as well. And I think we can take that away as creatives who are trying to make it and are trying to put food on the table is like, there is something to be said for the value in your thing, not sounding like something else. Because at some point, I think a lot of times if you just hold out a little bit longer somebody's going to recognize that, like, this is fresh to our ears, you know? That's what I'm banking on, Derek. (laughs) 
<laughs> I fingers and toes crossed. I, <laughs> I I feel like to you you brought up um you brought up social media and and how that factors into all of it. And I, I agree. I think I think social media definitely whatever that is in our brains, whatever that is in our like society, that behavior of of trying to make something quick and snappy and you end up emulating in the process mm-hmm. only gets amplified by social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd like to know what you think just about social media in general. Like, what do you think social media's role is, if any, in the creative process? Do you think it hurts? Do you think it helps? Mm. Do you think it does like one more than the other? I feel like my mind is always changing on that. That's an excellent question that I haven't been asked about social media before. Um, I will say social media is a conversation that comes up in almost every right that I do, um, especially for for other artists, because it is just a part of, it's become part of the job. It's become part of the, the craft, I would almost say. Um, as far as it inspiring or, you know, taking away from creativity, I think it's a case-by-case basis. I really do think that it's based on how you individually are inspired, how you create, how your your mind works. Um, I think if you are, you know, if you're inclined to be inspired by things that are visual or a video, a little clip of someone playing around with an instrument, great. Or even if you're like, I love the little sound bites, I, I really can't. I don't have the level of concentration to sit down and, you know, pay attention to a long YouTube TED talk, but I'm loving what this artist is saying. I think there are, there are limitless opportunities for social media to inspire. Um, and I do think it's, uh, you know, if you're creating something for a reel or something that has a, a time limit, I, I've always been a big believer in like putting limits on yourself in your creative time, whether that's like a time limit, which is great if you're making something like a reel or a word limit or just a fun little challenge for yourself. I think social media can be a great way for you to create. Um, because at its core, I think like technology as a whole is a tool and the positive or negative influences of it, that that is something that can be determined by the user of that tool. Mm-hmm. Hammers can be yeah. built, can be used to build or destroy. So you know, I think it's it's up to the user. Where I draw my personal beliefs on it being a negative thing is when it starts to infiltrate the system that is being an artist. That is when it, sorry, infiltrates the definition of being an artist and the expectations of being a creative. Um, and it becomes a must do, not a not an optional, you know, addition to what you're doing. I think that is where the danger lies. So do I think social media can be used to be creative? Absolutely. And I think if you are inspired by social media and if it brings a a sense of connectiveness, connection um, to you and your fans and fellow creators, then use the heck out of that thing. But I do think it's case by case basis. Um, And for me personally, it just got to a point where it's gotten to be a little much for me. So I've taken a a step back. Yeah. I I do commend that decision because that's a hard choice. Even when people take a break, I think when they're like, oh, you know, I took a week off of social media. It's like, yeah, that's not that hard. You know, (laughs) like like sometimes I'll just forget that I have Instagram, you know, Yeah. Uh, but to go a full year that like to go a full month 
is is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves about taking a step away from something to figure it out, to figure out our relationship with it and how it might be changing things. Yes. I think a lot of us don't realize it, but we do feel a dependence towards our relationship with social media every day, multiple times a day. And you don't want to be in a place where you're like dependent enough on anything like nicotine (laughs) to where you're like, I can't, I wish I could take a break from this to see if my life would be better, but I just can't. Yes. You know? Yes. And I think the connotation for artists too is, you know, and even like session musicians now, um, producers, whatever, if you're, if you take a step away from socials, or even if you say, I'm not really big into social media, sometimes it can be perceived as you don't want it. You don't want your career. You don't want success and you're lazy. And I just, Mm. I have an issue with that (laughs) way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause it's, it's, that brings up another whole aspect of the social media thing, which is like, there is definitely a right way that people think you should be doing social media as Mm. an artist and really any type of artist. Like, um, if you're making a product for the world and you want to tell people about that, I think people have very strong feelings about how you're supposed to do that, how frequently you're supposed to do that, how many reels you're supposed to make in a week, how many vlogs you should be doing, all this sort of stuff. And it's really hard to even figure out what is a good balance for yourself when there's so many frames of reference and Mm. they also (laughs) are identical. Everybody's saying, here's how often you have to be posting. Here's what you should do in your reels. Here's how to, I mean, I get ads for it all the time because I'm, I am making like, I do edit videos. I do make a podcast. I do produce music. So I'm, I'm just bombarded with Instagram, uh, advertisements saying, here's how to catch people in the first two seconds of your video, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I get 10 of those, you know, a week. Um, yep. so like all these really specific things that are basically, and, and here, like the thing too, is I think that they mean well, whoever is in those scenarios, like generally, uh, they mean well, if they're trying to offer something, uh, you know, obviously they're trying to make money from it too, but they believe in what they're doing. They believe that what they're doing is going to be helpful and all that sort of stuff, or otherwise they probably wouldn't pitch it. Sure. But there's so many resources out there to tell you how to do something, and it's just like everybody else's thing. Oh, it's it's overwhelming. I mean, it's always the, the industry. Um, I don't want to keep talking about the music. I'm like, the music industry, welcome to my TED Talk. Um, <laughs> but it's always been the Wild West because anything in entertainment, is is it's money, but it's also, you know, it's an audience. You got to have an audience to do this successfully, right? And so now that audience is on a on a digital scale. And, um, you know, I've had this conversation so many times, um, whether it's industry people, creatives, just, you know, people who love music and they're not necessarily doing it for a living. I think what's so dangerous about this digital audience, this digital platform, um, that, that the audience itself is not aware of and doesn't think about and and again, I'm with you. Like, I don't, I don't think it's done out of like malicious intent or anything like that. But when things are digital, one, the the attention span just 
just gets mm. gets cut down significantly. So it's all about that little pieces of aluminum foil to attract the magpie. Like we got to have like, you know, the whatever that story was. But like little tiny pieces of, ooh, this is cool, this is cool. But it's like not even a full finished song. Like now people are like, I need a chorus that will blow up on TikTok. I need a bridge that will blow up on TikTok. Um, all these different things that like the attention span is getting shorter. But what is ironic about that is that the the content creation time is getting longer, at least in my mm. experience. So the duration of time that it takes me to make a 30-second stupid little clip of me playing a chorus of one of my songs on an out-of-tune piano in my house takes so much longer than that actual clip duration is. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of that is personal for me. Um, like a lot of that is, crap, I sounded out of tune. The lighting wasn't right. I played a, a bad note, um, more like technical things. And then there's a, a total internal, mental, emotional battle of I look horrible. I hate how my face looks when I hit that note. I could have, <laughs> a lot of it is very visual for me. Like I, I really yeah. struggle sometimes with like just being my own worst critic and how how I look and in a video. Cause that's different for me too. You know, I've always done the, the photo shoots, even like the, you know, just a friend taking a photo and then you use it for a cover art. But like photo shoots are different than video. And your face is moving and it's and it's right there on your screen and you're editing it and you just start seeing all the flaws. And because of that, it takes me so long. I mean, I would like, Derek, like panic spiral over a 15 mm. second video that took me two hours to make. And that was, the, the and that that's why I say social media creativity, it's so case by case. Like it, yeah. it really is dependent upon the person who is making it and whether they feel like it is their thing. And I just felt like with that, I didn't have time for anything else. And I, I also had another job that I had to go to and work a shift at. And I was like, um, I've just lost my three hours of doing music on a stupid video that means nothing to me and will probably get lost in an algorithmic scroll. So that's what's so dangerous to me about this digital shift is just the amount of time that it's it's taking from me to put that stuff out instead of working on the writing and the, the performing. And I'll tell you, when I took a step back from social media at the beginning of January, I knew I had this a little run of tours in, in front of me. Uh, some I'm touring more this year. I'm playing more gigs. And I had like three gigs in the Midwest that I was going to do by myself. And um, I had had this idea for months to use this, uh, it's called a TC Helicon Voice Live Extreme 3 pedal. Yeah. Um, and you can loop vocals and you can loop guitar. But I had not had the mental capacity. I only got as far as to understand how to loop vocals. I hadn't like tried guitar, hadn't tried anything. I did not have the mental space to focus on working on that and figuring it out. When I took a step back, I was like, I'm going to commit to this freaking pedal board. Like, this will be, I am dating this board. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> all I'm doing. And let me tell you, I saw a dramatic improvement in my ability to perform music because it was all like, I, I could actually focus on it. I was not, you know, filming me practicing to put on Instagram or to put on TikTok and then when I went and did these shows and was able to interact with fans, it was so refreshing to like 
have a real face-to-face conversation with them after the show, to be able to talk with them, take photos, you know, be, be at the merch table and just like chat about life and not be in my DMs for, you know, several hours after the show, making sure I've seen every video, what's worth reposting, what should I just respond to? Do I have everybody's Instagram handle to tag the venue, tag the people that played the show with me, make sure that I have all the promotion ready for the next show that I'm going to do. Like it was a game changer already for me personally because of how my brain works, because of the kind of things that I want to accomplish as an artist. So, um, yeah, I don't know what answer I was giving to what question, (laughs) but that's kind of been my experience right now. And like, it is so, again, I, I just keep going back to it, but it is very, very much case by case. Me. Yeah, and and I feel like that is sometimes the hardest thing to do is to is in that moment when you're like I need to figure this thing out. It's so much easier to because we just have so many more outlets to distract ourselves. Mm-hmm. So much easier to say like I'm going to try it for a little bit. I didn't feel good about how I did even though I don't like I'm not practiced at this, so obviously yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be super proud at first. <laughs> and then and then we're like ah, I'm just going to, you know, scroll or I'm going to you know, watch a thing or listen to this or, and, and we just like sort of pacify ourselves. Yes. Um, I think for me, that's, that's what will happen a lot of the time. If I, if I'm intentionally distracting myself from doing something that I know I should do, it's a pacifier for me feeling not good at something. I'm going to distract myself so that way I don't feel as bad. When you could just sit down with it, and get less bad, you know? And and that and that fear is really not, it's so, like you were saying, we're so hypercritical of ourselves more than anybody else will ever be. And uh, I, I feel the exact same thing where making content has always been the most stressful thing for me. I have no problem being in front of people. I have no problem mm-hmm. showing people my work. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, you know, I, I've had a lot of people say like, oh, well, you should you should just record, like you should just set up a camera while you're writing, you know, If your next I had song. a dollar for every time <laughs> I would yeah. And it's like, and it's like, yeah, but don't you, maybe, maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe there's something in my brain, but it's like, that is going to affect how I work. Because I'm going to sit differently. I'm going to be like, well, I don't want three chins while I'm writing this song. You know, I'm going to be like, well, every idea has to be good because I'm recording this. And it's like, that's not how art is made, you know? No. And it's so weird that that's sometimes the advice. People are like, oh, you should just record everything you do and then edit out, like edit down the stuff that you liked the most. And it's like, yeah, but I don't know about you, but for me... I'm going to be changing everything I do and the way I do it because there's a camera in front of me or there's a camera on me, you know? I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is that is so true and that was a very eloquent way of putting it. Also, um, we didn't exchange Venmo information because I wasn't aware that I was paying for a therapy session and <laughs> ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. McDonald's, please don't come after me um, for that slogan, but... <laughs> It, it's so true about the the pacifying thing, um, you, you know, using distractions to pacify yourself from the, it's not just procrastinating, practicing, it's not wanting to feel inadequate. And that's so true. And, and for me as well, I, I've always been, I'm a middle child, the middle of three girls, 
And I've always been like a pretty free-spirited individual. My mom always says I kind of gave her a run for her money in raising me because I wasn't like the other two and I wasn't as easy. But I've always been very much like I just do things my own way. And for me, it was hard to, to continually put things on social media and be like, well, this isn't popping off because it's not like what this artist is doing and and have people who like are really meaning well in my life be like, well, why don't you do what this girl was doing? Why don't you do what this this guy was doing? And it just was like, I so to, in order to be successful, I need to do what everyone else is doing the way that they're doing it. Like that didn't make sense to me, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. And so I tried a lot of the TikTok trends. Like I haven't I haven't deleted any any of my uh, previous social media history as of yet, so you can see. Like I I tried and um, embarrassed myself quite a quite a few times. Um, <laughs> and people would say often, like, just you know, Ivory, do funny stuff because you're so funny. Like you're you're funny in shows, and people will be like, you should be a stand up comedian and all this kind of stuff. Oh my goodness, and, I've heard. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you've heard it. And so I I was getting really disheartened because I like myself. Like, I like the combination of things that I am. I don't always like myself, but, you know, overall, like, she's, she's cool. She's okay. <laughs> I felt like people were saying, why don't you just record you being you, but then it's not really me because of what you mm-hmm. were saying about feeling watched. And then at the same time, it's it's becoming this other thing. It's like I'm trying to monetize my personality. And I found it was really hard to be myself and make this content and stay authentic when really, you know, I'm like, come to a show. Like, please just come see me live because then you'd get it. And we could mm-hmm. chat because I want to talk to you. I'm not, I'm not getting off social media because I don't want to talk to people or I, I don't love people. I don't value people. And I also don't know how long I'll be off social media. I'm just like, you know, taking a step back for right now and have some ideas about how to do that better. But for me, it's it's back to that exhaustion due to preservation. It's one of those things that I just want to make sure that I'm preserving the parts of me that are me and feeling like a, like I'm constantly needing to be on and to perform was just really detrimental to my mental health and and who I am as a person. Because also, I'm not always up, Derek, okay? Like, <laughs> I love making people feel good, and I love to laugh, love keeping things light and airy, but, you know, I'm, I'm actually an introvert, and um, I desperately need that time by myself to be able to recharge. And when I was really, really, really trying to promote all the music I made last year— I felt like I had no time to myself and I just got really, really burnt out. But when I took a step back and realized, okay, well, do I need to quit music? Is this the end of the road for me? I realized what I was really burnt out on was the social media promotion aspect of it and that I was even more hungry to make better music and to tour and to do all the things. I just wasn't, I didn't have it in me to continue just the relentless self-promotion that was, you know, trying to to beat the algorithm. And and what a relief, you know, <laughs> to be kind of at, because I, I, I'm relating to so much of what you're describing and like to be at, kind of at your wits end sometimes and be like, is there something wrong with me? Am I bad at this? If social media is so tied to music, am I just not cut out for music? And it's like, mm. it's, it's, it's not even that like, I don't like social media sometimes because it's hard and I don't want to do something that's hard. It's like no this this kind of makes me feel bad <laughs> like 
<laughs> if I'm if I'm steeped in this thing, it doesn't feel very good, and that's not always the case. But I think when the pressure is on to be funny, to be entertaining, to be snappy, and to have a hook in your video, mm. you know, that gets people right in and then, you know, just blow up the algorithms and all that sort of stuff. It's like so many people are putting that pressure on themselves. Yes. And it's not like we get this perception that like, if I just do it right, then it'll blow up. And then if it doesn't blow up, then I didn't do it right. And so I got to try it again. That's not how the algorithm's working, you know? Yeah. And do we ask ourselves what happens when we blow up? Because usually if it, if something blows up, it's because people love it. And if people love it, then they want more. If you give a moose a muffin, dot, 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 one of my favorite books of all time. If you give a mouse a cookie, <laughs> it was good. But moose a muffin is the best one. And um, that, was, that was part of my decision-making process and taking a step back for right now was if I blew up tomorrow for like a funny TikTok that I did, I would be expected to put out a funny TikTok each day mm -hmm. afterwards. And I don't have that kind of I don't have that kind of stamina. Yeah, dude. And I right? know so many people who are stuck in that. Mm -hmm. They're like, I, I this I was making videos, then this one blew up, yep. so then I had to do more of those. But that's not that was just a one off. I didn't want to do every video like that. Yeah, it's not a it's not a cash payout. You know, you go viral, you get a bunch of money, and then you can stop you doing this. It's you go viral and you keep building that audience until you get to a point where you can have sponsorships or label deals or or whatever. And then, but it's a it you keep having having to feed the beast. And I think that relentlessness of reaching this utopia, but still it not, you know, I feel like the definition of utopia is dystopia. So you know what I mean? But to me, having to do that, even if I got to this successful place that everyone was saying, like this magic number that everyone was like, this means you're successful, just meant that I would have to be relentlessly sharing all of this stuff. And, and that is an aspect too that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, before all of this, artists were really mysterious. Like, you know, you, you knew them through their music and through the interviews that you listened to and they weren't as accessible. And I think there's such a cool thing about about social media giving people the opportunity to realize that artists are humans, you know, they put on their pants like everybody else does. and But it gets to a point where when I knew I wanted to be an artist, I, man, I was 15 years old, so quite a, quite a bit ago. But <laughs> I'll say that social media was not a big thing at all. So to me, I wanted to be an artist because what I was seeing was you get to tour, you get to write music, you get to be in studios, you get to meet audiences, you get to, you know, whatever— but there was never this relentless sharing of my life. And yes. I I that is what I signed up for. I I wanted that. You know, it's already vulnerable enough to be talking about a breakup and putting music to it. And then sometimes, you know, you tell that story when you're when you're at the show and you tell people how you wrote the song and whatever. That's pretty vulnerable. Not a lot of people do oh, that yeah. in their everyday lives. But then to take yeah. that a step further and go, well, I want to know what you eat for breakfast, what brand of oatmeal you have at breakfast. And I also want to know your thoughts on this, this, and that. Like, weigh in on that. Like, it just gets to a point where for some people, they love that and they want that. And they should be able to deliver that if that's what they want to do. For me, that was just never anything that I signed up for. I really value my privacy. And it, it was getting to a point where I looked back, Derek, and I was shocked at how much I had shared and it felt kind of like, you know, when you overshare in a conversation, you're like, I really wish I hadn't said that. I really don't <laughs> know that person. You get in your person. car and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Did anybody is anybody going to remember that? <laughs> <laughs> like every part of you is sweating. I'm just like, I really hope no one was recording that. That kind of thing where you're yeah. like, 
that was kind of embarrassing because because there wasn't usually you feel awkward for oversharing because the other person did not meet you in your sharing. It was you. Mm. And that is what social media became for me. It became me being like, I would write these posts about this depression I was experiencing, about the breakup I was going through, or my career isn't looking the way that I thought. And people would really, you know, support me and write really nice things, but it wasn't like they were like, me too, homegirl. Like, you know, it was like, I'm right. the one that's sharing all this. And then I would feel really, sorry, I don't know. But I would feel really. Oh, we can swear on this podcast. Okay, great. <laughs> Hell yeah. I would feel really shitty. <laughs> I would feel horrible if I uh, shared something really deep and intimate because I wanted to connect in that level. And I felt like maybe this will help establish, I don't know, a stronger connection with my fan base. And then like, that post would get lost in the algorithm and a handful of people would like it. And then I'd get in my head and think, oh my gosh, do people think I'm playing the victim and that I'm just depressed all the time? Or um, mm, yeah. it just kind of, you lose your power in the in the conversation. I think the more that you share is what I have learned. And it's something that I've learned as, yeah. as just a, a human in general, you know, when you're talking with people, like not everyone needs to know everything. And I think social media, the longer it's around, the more it demands and it will never be satisfied. So for me, at this point in my life, and for the kind of person I am, it was just the smartest decision for me to just take a step back for however long that is. Yeah, there, there's something so important that like, and obviously the stuff doesn't get really brought up transparently on social media because it kind of, I, I think it's because it does it goes it goes against what social media is like mm -hmm. the nature of it mm -hmm. but yeah like the the feeling of oh that was such an embarrassing thing i did like a month ago you look at it again and then you're like this is this is embarrassing you know uh, like yeah. it, and i think a lot of it has to do with like that's not how i normally act you know i had to mm -hmm. ham things up because you know you want it to do well and i i've also had people say you know just yeah you kind of have to be okay with being cringy a little bit Yes. And I'm like, I only do that for like five people. Mm. I don't do that in public, you know? Like I'm I'm I sort of break it down as as like just human behavior. Like what is normal, healthy human behavior? And it's like yes. I don't share with random people on the street. Like I don't get personal with the person handing me my coffee. Yes. Uh and and so it's a weird thing that we have not only normalized, but have created a science out of routinely oversharing everything about you with yes. everyone that you don't know. Yes. And that's part of the job is what they say. And that's part of the job. Yeah. yeah. And but but it's even like it's worlds away from even what you said at a show opening up there. A show is so intimate in comparison. Yes. And it's even hard to compare. Something that goes online is potentially viewable by billions of people. If you're in a show and you can feel like you can do things like read the room, you can sense the energy, you can yes. get feedback from whether people are cheering or laughing or just standing there staring at you. Like I've been I've been in like so many scenarios where reading the room is not difficult. And mm -hmm. if you feel comfortable to open up and share something or get intimate or get serious or get a little sappy, it's like Yeah. Yeah, that's because we're humans and we're we know how to interact with other humans when they're in our vicinity. You know, when they're right there, it may be appropriate to share something with people you don't know because you've read the room. Yes. It's it's very difficult, maybe impossible to to do that on social media, well, I, I think. Yeah, what you're saying, what you're describing is beautifully put. 
it's it's shows live shows and and being around other human bodies it's a context it provides context and it's it's what we were designed for like it's not like we were designed for social media i feel no not at all it's it's <laughs> something we came up with so i think that's why partially why it's so hard to figure it out like our yes. relationship with it because we our brains don't get it like we created this thing and it it like transcends what our minds are capable of you know comprehending Agreed. I feel like we could do a TED Talk on this now, Derek. <laughs> and this is Chatting on Socials with Derek and Ivory. If, if you get booked for a TED Talk, I'll definitely help you write the speech and all that. So Please. I, <laughs> you have a better voice I, I, for delivery than I do. I'm too like, your, your voice, <laughs> the cadence is much more TED Talk for you. I think how it should be is that you do like it, it's a it's a joint TED talk, so yes. you'll be doing a performance, and then it'll the spotlight will come back to my side of the stage, and I'll be like, "So what's happening here is this, this, and this." I'll break it down like scientifically. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. I'll have my people email your people. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it going. We'll get an email chain going. Oh, by the way. Uh-huh. Speaking of email chains, can you tell your sister thank you for putting up with the crazy long email chain? Oh my I, gosh. I, I, I felt so bad for all of the back and forth. Um, I mean, there was a reschedule, but even aside from that, like I, I like I had to reschedule because I lost my voice, but then getting the finer details figured out, I just wanted to make sure this all went off without a hitch and, and all that sort of stuff. You so, are but totally I like fine. I, was, I felt like I was pestering her. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. Okay, Madeline lives with me, so she's used to being pestered, and that was, <laughs> that was nothing. I was totally fine, but I will be sure to relay your apologies, although she never mentioned yeah. it at all. No frustration. Yeah. yeah, if we get connected on Venmo, I'll send you five bucks so you can <laughs> buy her coffee or something. So. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, no, she's, that. that's nothing to Madeline. <laughs> she's resilient. She is resilient, she's- and I've probably made her to be that way because living with me takes <laughs> resilience. Oh, uh, that's incredible. Well, I do have uh, a couple other questions. I don't I don't want to keep you here for like no, 10 hours. No, you're but fine. I'll try to rapid fire. I feel like we could, I feel like it's, it, like everything that you're describing in my brain, I'm going like, oh my God, thank you for talking about this because me too. Like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, this is this has been amazing. Um, one one thing that I'm trying to ask more people. Okay. And I'm very curious what what your answer might be. Um, what music do you think everybody is sleeping on right now? Ooh, what music do I think everyone's sleeping on right now? You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I had been like a Peter Gabriel. Phil Collins fan for a really long time. And um, a couple years ago, this guy I was working with in the UK, his name's Liam Howe. He's an incredible producer. He had turned me on to this song that was Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush singing together called, uh, the song was called Don't Give Up. And it's got this killer bass line in it. You would love it, Derek. And that introduced me to Kate Bush. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'd already been listening to Kate Bush because I was obsessed with this song called Running Up That Hill. (laughs) And so I was like, I mean, Kate Bush kind of inspired a a lot of my production stuff that I was doing in in London with Liam, Um, a lot of that 80s music. And I thought the world was sleeping on that. And then Stranger Things came along and everyone played that song relentlessly. So that would have been my answer. Like just that kind of- That kind of stuff. And now the world's not sleeping on it. Now I wish that people would kind of- 
flip that dial a little more to Peter Gabriel because I think he's slept on. I I think Gen Z would love Peter Gabriel um, personally. Oh, absolutely. And his production has inspired me exponentially. So I I that would probably be my answer is I think Peter Gabriel, but I know that that's not like I, an up and coming. I love that answer. Yeah. Oh well, thanks. But I I yeah. love I love Pete. So I hope I get to meet him someday. Oh, that's one of those, like, for me, I have, like, certain celebrities, a lot of them being musicians. Sure. Um, a few actors where I'm like, oh, man, if I ever got to meet this person, not even that I have anything to say. It's just like, what a cool thing, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. To be like, you made one of my, for me, it's it's always the dynamic of you made one of the my favorite things. Yes. And here you are. That, that yes. to me, is like a weird thing. And getting to, like, working in music, is it really helps with that because there have been so many times where I've met people who worked on something that I really admired, mm-hmm. um, present company included, where mm. it's just like, what a crazy thing to just get to normalize meeting people who do really awesome things. Yes. You know? Yes. It's so cool. And also, circle back, I haven't really seen Peter Gabriel on social media, so I would be intrigued. I don't know what he would be like. Like, I— I would want to know the kind of normalcy, like what is his neutral, and mm-hmm. just because I don't, I don't have that much intel on on him. I only have his music, and so I have this kind of idea of how he would be from his music. And I think that's why people go to live shows, right? Because it's like I want to be in the same room as this person who who has been a part of this memory or this season of life with me. I mean, I I lost my shit when I saw Imogen Heap live because uh, she oh. she's the reason why I am a producer, really. And um, just seeing her do some of those songs that opened my ears and my eyes to the world of music production was just, you know, being in the same room as her doing that was in, insane. So Peter Gabriel, final answer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I like that answer too for the, for the, the sake of it being, um, I guess that's something I haven't really thought about is like, what what is Gen Z sleeping on? Because I guess I don't even know. I'm not in their heads, you know, mm-hmm. as as much as I am. Like, I, I'm close to Gen Z. Like, I was born in 96, but I really feel like a millennial, especially these days. Mm. And I guess in my head, I'm like, well, Gen Z must just be listening to whatever is in the top 10 right now. You know? In the top 10 TikToks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Top 10 TikToks, top 10 billboard. Like it literally, if it's a, if it's a sound, I guess here's, here's what it is. I can tell what Gen Z is up to because people will quote something. I don't know if you have friends that do this. Okay. People will quote something and I'll be like, what? And they're like, it's, it's a sound on TikTok. Yes. And I'm like, I'm like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I will say the commitment to random that Gen Z has. Like I have a lot of friends who are Gen Z and they add so much humor and spontaneity to my life in the best way because they're just fans of things that they're fans of. There isn't really like a rhyme or a reason because sometimes it'll be something that's trending, but sometimes it's like, well, I just found this thing from the 70s and now I'm obsessed. I love that. Yeah. That spontaneity, like they don't have to be on theme. It's just kind of, I like what I like and I'm unapologetic about that. And I love that. I need to be more like that, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's a good, it's a good bit of energy too, because like, that's how, I feel like that's how we all grew up was just, you find a thing and you like it. Mm. Like it, it, it's not a thing where like we all had our favorite movies and stuff like that, but 
I remember getting into certain things like certain uh, YouTube videos back when YouTube first started and all that sort of stuff. Oh, gosh. And like none of my friends thought it was cool, but I thought it was cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's You need that when you're young. You need stuff that like sets you out from your friends a little bit, you know? I agree. Um, well, I do want to ask as well, uh, where can people, if people want to come out and see you at a show, where can people find you? Where can they see you next? Oh, my gosh. I'm like, just look out your window. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're doing some U.S. shows, uh, fingers and toes crossed for U.K. shows, but any any of the shows that I'm doing, I will be posting um, onto my website, ivorylane.com, L-A-Y-N-E. I am not a street. It's always what I say. Um, <laughs> I'm also like stumbling over my words as I'm like, man, I need to eat lunch in a little bit. <laughs> If you hear stomach growling in this podcast, I'm like, mm, I'm not human. Um, but yes, on my website, uh, under the little tab that says tour, um, also you can hit the connect button and I have a newsletter that you can sign up to be a part of that I do write. And I let you know how I'm doing, what I'm up to, if there are any fun things happening, if I have new merch. Um, all, all that kind of stuff is on my newsletter. I also, uh, this is not about touring, but if you ever want to connect with me on a more direct personal level, I have a PO box and I have several pen pals, um, that started off as fans. So, um, I really enjoy doing that. But as far as finding shows, website is always the best way to go. I am still posting. I am not posting. So my management team, they will post on Instagram on my behalf, um, just like a solid standard post if I'm playing anywhere, just making sure that the people that do follow me and haven't unfollowed me know. But I'm not creating content or I'm not on that platform myself. So th sometimes, you know, like at this past run that we did, there was a graphic that was posted just letting people know that there were shows, but I wasn't talking. It wasn't me. <laughs> I know. Mm -hmm. I feel like my hands are up and I'm like, it wasn't me, but it wasn't. Um, it was management. <laughs> and I will say that if you follow me on Spotify, uh, Spotify has been a really cool resource for connecting me with a lot of my fans. So for instance, we did some secret shows with this really cool company called So Far in the Midwest just last week. And people came to those shows via Spotify telling them, hey, you liked Superman. Ivory is playing near you. So That's make so sure, cool. yeah. So make sure you're following me on Spotify. My website is always like my first place. But if you if you want that extra push in your email, I I would like to think that I write a pretty darn good newsletter. <laughs> um, and I'll be updating everyone as as tour dates come along. Awesome. I love the P.O. Box thing too. Like I've, I've never you. heard, I don't know anybody else who does that. That's awesome. Well, it was it's kind of an antiquated idea of fan mail and things like that, but I see it very much as pen pal situations and and I've had fans send me some of the most gorgeous artwork that they've they've made me and really sweet letters and they always kind of come at this this perfect divine timing when I'm like I'm through with music, I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> and then someone sends me this adorable card talking about how celebrate, you know, brought them through this you know, tough season of their life or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to keep going a little bit longer. So, um, I could do at least one more week. I know. I was like, I got one more week left in me. So yeah, the <laughs> PO box is great. And I, and I will write back. Sometimes it takes a hot second, but I, I do respond. So that's so awesome. Well, Ivory Lane, this has been 
Oh, just what a blessing. <laughs> this has been a treat, like an absolute honor. So thank you so much. You're a great hang. I was fortunate to see you at a show two years ago, three years ago. I'm going to stop you Jeez. because you were, you helped at that show. Yes. You, that's, you that's helped also us true. out. <laughs> yeah. I, I did forget about that. Yeah. I mean, I was I just didn't. like, in my mind, I was like, I got to be at the show. And uh, oh my gosh. so I, I was just over the moon about it. I will say. Mm-hmm. I'm not holding too much of, of a grudge, but oh, no. you didn't you didn't play me, um, oh. which I was a little hurt. I was a little hurt okay. by that. <laughs> well, I'll remember I, it if I'm if I'm near your way and you come to another show. Yeah. I'll make sure to add that one to the old set list. It's the least I could do after after this. And you helped last show again, so I owe you such a great performance. And I remember I brought that up to um, we um, connected with your sister to get everything you know situated. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I'm so pumped. I was like. Oh, I hope that me is in the set list. I can't wait for that song. Yeah. She's like, oh, it's not in the set. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, but, you know. I remember that. It was still a great set. Still a great set. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And it, it's always really impactful to me to, even to know that you love a deep cut like me, It it's really encouraging to me at this point in my journey because it is, it's a tough road and it's so great to know that there are amazing people rooting for me and and connecting with stories that feel very personal and you know can sometimes make you feel alone it's awesome to know that there are people that resonate with that and and thank you so much for having me on this is such a cool podcast and I'm honored to be a part of it and to be able to connect with you on things that you know when left untreated or unmentioned uh may tend to alienate people feeling that way so it's nice to know that you know, we we share a lot of common thoughts, even though we have different experiences. So thank you so much mm-hmm. for for having me here. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's one of the best things that I've realized from doing this more is that um, all of us who are in music and art, we all think a lot of the same s- stuff. Yes. We, our inner worlds are all kind of tumultuous and we get down on ourselves for a lot of the same things. And you don't necessarily have to. It helps to talk about it. You know, it really does. Great pleasure to have you on the show. The feeling is mutual. Thrilled to get this one out there. Thank you, Derek. Thank you so much for having me. 